Welcome to the Jam Session Radio Hour. Very happy to have you with us. It's John Landis here, your host. And we continue to bring you some excellent jazz and excellent uh, insights, interviews with people who do jazz in the East End and other places, but definitely people who come by regularly and have played with us, either the Jam Session or the Hamptons Jazz Fest, other opportunities. Tonight, we have a combination of music and interview with um, a great saxophone player named James Campagnola. And Jim has played for years with us in the Jam Session and has had a house also for years in Amagansett. He's a well-known member of the jazz community in the East End and in Long Island and in New York City. Has a fascinating career and you'll hear a lot lot about that in the interview. But basically, I think he grew up in in a town now down near uh, Jones Beach, North Bellport, I think is what I call North Belmore. Maybe it's North Belmore, and near Jones Beach anyway. And um, over the years, played a lot in Europe and a lot in New York City. Did work with uh, Jingles uh, for a long time. Had his own uh, private party band orchestra for a long time as well. Has hit a lot of bases. Great player. Started out in rock and roll. Has played with bands out here. Has played with a Nancy Atlas band. I have to say, he's one of the only ones that I can think of who crosses the bridge from the jam session to local East End-based rock and roll with a band as great as as the Nancy Atlas's. So kudos to her and the work that he's done with her on occasion. Anyway, uh, let's listen to some music and interview with Jim Campagnola on the saxophone. Hey, Jim. Come stay. <laughs> and Jim is in San Remo, Italy. This is like... I think this is the last two um, interviews I've done. I've done with people who are in Italy. We did Sipiagan, uh, Alex Sipiagan. Now we got to have the good fortune of doing Jim Campagnola. So he is in San Remo. Tell us what you're doing there, Jim. I'm hanging around, visiting with my brother, who just bought a sailboat. <laughs> so Jim has, over the years, he's played a lot with the Jam Session. And uh, help talk about that because that's always fun to talk about in the Bayburger years and uh, even after that. Um, yeah. One interesting fact, Jim, is Bayburger's back on the market, uh, which uh, Ed's Lobster Bar was there for a couple years, but is is leaving. So that's interesting. So who knows what may happen? Maybe music will be. Oh, wait, 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 wait! You got to tell me about this. So Bayburger is back, like. Well, we've had a tenant for two and a half years, and uh, he tried, but he didn't really make it, and it was called Ed's Lobster Bar. So now it is, it's not going to be Bayburger again, that's, you know, but it may be a more community-oriented restaurant. We'll see what happens. Right, right. Um, But I'm not letting the cat out of the bag here, because as far as I know, there's a sign on in front of the, in front of the building. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And so... um, you, you're not playing over there right now. You're not doing any. And so Italy's well, kind got, of still in lockdown, right? Well, I got my, I got my saxophone here, you know. I'm, okay. I'm ready, <laughs> I'm ready, ready to go. I mean, I was thinking of going down to the, you know, dock and just, you know, whipping it out and just, you know, playing. Right. Which is a great way, to, great way to meet musicians, you know, just right. go out and start playing. But uh, no, this thing, you know, there's not a lot of live music. Um, in fact, I haven't I haven't seen any live music here since I've been here. You know? Right, um, and I just think that's a sign of the times, or it's just kind of the result of the pandemic and what we're going through. You know, right. it's hard to. Uh, I think it's hard to organize anything. 
You right. know, I mean, I live, I'm living in Manhattan now, and um, it's interesting the way we're recovering because there was there was a lockdown for it was pretty severe in Manhattan. I mean, there was no music at all. So right. I mean, no, you know, so you couldn't you weren't allowed to be in a place with more than a certain amount of people. So that took care of the the whole jazz scene, the, the local, let's call it the indigenous music scene in Manhattan, you know, because you, you've got this what's going on at the Blue Note. You got what's going on at uh, Village Vanguard. You know, all these places, you know, are uh, there's like kind of a national uh, circuit, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But then there's also an in indigenous scene in Manhattan. Um, and uh, that kind of got crushed completely. So, um, yeah. so with the indigenous scene, does that mean like a different set of clubs? Well, yeah, yeah. So it's 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 local, you know, musicians who live in Manhattan, in and around Manhattan, right. and and are playing in clubs that are catering to a local clientele, uh -huh. know, as opposed to what's happening at the Blue Note or you know, Lincoln Center. I mean, you know, those right. kind of places. You right. Know? So, but there are a lot of uh, great jazz players that live in and around Manhattan that have always kind of contributed, you know, to the, mm -hmm. the jazz. But uh, that's, that's been crushed, you know, mm -hmm. really. That's just starting to come back. There's a place called Smalls in uh, down on the Lower West Side. Um, and that's, that's like one of the only places where they've got regular music, you know, um, right. live music, you know, every night of the week, you can go and hear live music. Um, so that's about it. So not a lot, not a lot going on in uh, Manhattan. And clubs have closed. Yeah. I imagine well, a lot of clubs have closed. I think all of them. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, except for Smalls and um, I think the Jazz Standard's still open. But, uh -huh. uh, That's yeah. so sad. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty severe, you know. So, so were you were you part of this indigenous jazz scene for years? For Yeah, for, for decades, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, yeah. I, I was lucky. I mean, I was fortunate. I was able to play, you know, and um, did a lot of playing over the years, uh, you know, in clubs in Manhattan. But uh, yeah, it's kind of gone. It's too bad, you know. More in Manhattan. So, so uh, you say Manhattan. So that would be more of the case than than Brooklyn, or, you know, which is such no, a. No, it's kind of the same. It's the same. It's the same. same. Yeah, it's the same. same no, did did Brooklyn know? have clubs where you guys would play? There are, yeah, there are clubs in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. um, there are some new clubs that are kind of sprouting up. So that's, yeah. So, I mean, that's a good thing. That's you know? nice. But not, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a strange, we've evolved. So your living as a, as a professional was, lar you would say, largely um, reliant on this indigenous scene in the city. Well, as, as a professional, I was lucky because I was making a living uh, playing in studios. I mean, like doing like recording Right. Studios, you know, so right. it, it wasn't really, I wasn't making money playing live. Mm -hmm. I mean, well, you can make some money, but, you know, mm -hmm. you can't, really, it's hard to make a living in okay. New York playing in clubs, you know, but I was, I was lucky because I was, um, um, yeah, I was fortunate enough to get hooked up in the recording business. And there was a thriving music scene as far as recording, you know, TV commercials, film scores, that kind of stuff. You know, there was a, a lot of uh, recording going on. So 
I was lucky enough to get hooked up. And that was right up, right up uh, until the pandemic. Well, it started, no, you know, it started to wane um, in the, or right after the, you know, right after um, uh, 9-11, you know, that was kind of a turning, that felt like a turning point mm-hmm. uh, where um, people all of a sudden got very careful about where they were going, what they were doing, you know, New York, New York locked down pretty good after 9-11. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um People just weren't spending money. They weren't having big music events like they used to. So I'd say it started to turn around around then, you know, around 2000. So in the last 20 years, it's been uh, been going down, downhill. Yeah. You know. Hasn't really yeah. turned around except for some of these bigger, all, bigger clubs right. with national names. Right. We've all felt that, you know, like everybody in town's kind of felt that happening but uh and then and then when the pandemic hit that was another you know big turning the jam session radio hour is supported by bayard fenwick as a sponsor and underwriter as part of the terry cohen team located at the east hampton office of saunders real estate bayard is well versed in the residential real estate market from bridgehampton to east hampton to amagansett to montauk bayard believes there are three parts to the value of a property land value, improvements made to the property, and an emotional component. You can reach Bayard Fenwick at the East Hampton office of Saunders Real Estate at 631-324-7575. That's 631-324-7575. The Jam Session Radio Hour is also supported by Oza Sabbath Architects of Bridgehampton, New York. Oza Sabbath Architects both designs and builds homes, believing that a well-designed home suffuses our lives with the essential elements of balancing and recharging. Oza Sabbath Architects can be reached at ozasabbath.com. That's O-Z-A-S-A-B-B-E-T-H.com and at 631-808-3036. That's 631-808-3036. You're listening to WLIW-FM 88.3 in Southampton, New York. Also heard on WLIW.org slash radio. This is the Jam Session Radio Hour. I'm your host, John Landis. And tonight we have the privilege of bringing you both talk and music from Jim Campagnola.
You're listening to WLIW FM 88.3 in Southampton, New York. Also heard on WLIW.org slash radio. This is the Jam Session Radio Hour. I'm your host, John Landis. And tonight we have the privilege of bringing you both talk and music from Jim Campagnola. Speaking of live music, then, just uh, just to put a historical perspective on this. So you you played for a long time with uh, at the jam session. You would show up, and you were one of our regular players. And then when we had a, um, a special guest program, you would often be the special guest, which was nice that we could do that. Yeah. And uh, thank you to Keyed Up and the Jazz Foundation of America for that um, assistance that they gave us. But tell us about, uh, you know, a little bit about the jam session and your experience with it and how you found out about it and what that was like. Well, I had a, a uh, again, I was lucky enough to be getting, a, you know, uh, be making uh, a living in New York. Uh, and I always liked, I mean, I, I, I'm from Long Island, so I grew up near Jones Beach. That's kind of where I'm from, you know. Really? So what town? I kind of, uh, North Belmore. Okay. Yeah. North Belmore. W.C. Mepham High School. So, <laughs> All right. You know, right, right, you know, right near Jones Beach. So uh-huh. I kind of always grew up in and around the beaches, you know, hanging right. around. So, um, you know, I ended up uh, building a house out in uh, Amagansett um, about, it was about 20 years ago. And, uh, and so that I kind of uh, lived in both places. I kept my apartment in Manhattan and I had a place out in Amagansett. So that's kind of what got me out to the Hamptons. And then mm-hmm. just from being out there, I kind of hooked up with musicians locally. You know? Okay. And, yeah. That's, that's how I ended up at the jam session. But know, there really wasn't much else. Was there anything else besides the jam session at the time? That you, you mean, you mean out in the East End? Oh, on the East End? Yeah. I used really. to play live. No, not a lot. I mean, you know, you got the talk house, right? You've got, right. you know, you can count them on your hand. There's not, mm-hmm. um, there's not that much uh, opportunity for musicians, I think, to play, you know. So the jam session was really great. Mm-hmm. Still is, but uh, um, a great, great vehicle for, uh, for jazz. You know, there's really nothing else happening um, substantially that, you know, on the East End. Mm-hmm. For, I got I got called to play a wedding recently. <laughs> somebody somebody called. Me, uh, no, this was in Montauk. Okay. I got I got called to play uh, at someone's wedding, and um, it was kind of funny because I they wanted a saxophone. Uh, for some reason, they wanted a saxophone, but they had hired a DJ, and so um, it I, it was a, it was a DJ. And a and a kunga player, and me. I mean, that was the band. I mean, I don't know if you call it a band, but right. that's kind of what they, where we've come. You know what I, I mean? Think. So instead of instead of a, a live, you know, a live band, um, I was hired to play with a with a DJ, hmm. and I've ne- I'd never done that before. It was kind of strange, you know. So did you rehearse? Uh, no, no, we just <laughs> showed up started playing and and you know i i had a lot of fun actually i got to do a lot of playing i was just playing but but um not it's it's just a different it's a different scene you know it's just a different world when it comes what was to, he what was that dj playing uh he played everything i mean they just played it everything i mean starting with 
man, the sixties, you know, going back to, well, even for like before that, Frank Sinatra, you know, but, but right through the seventies and then the last hour was uh, like hip hop, uh-huh. you know, hip hop, dance music, you know, R and B, right. That kind of stuff. Yeah. So. And you were, you were comfortable. You kind of knew beforehand that's kind of what it was going to be. And you were just riffed on top of whatever was going on. Yeah. I was just kind of, I was kind of like the icing on the cake, you know, but it was, it was interesting because that, you know, it was a younger crowd, you know, um, and, and it was interesting to see what they were responding to. But how about like Sippy Ogden mentioned to me that he's in a big band and yeah. Hector Martignon has a big band and the big band played at Southampton Art Center. So like, what's that about? Because that seems to be like economically unfeasible because you got 16 people playing a gig. It's a, it's a hobby. I mean, a hobby. <laughs> yeah, no, really. I mean, I mean, you know, musicians are, I mean, if you're, if you're a, uh, how do I say it? I mean, it just, musicians just want to play. They just yeah. want to play. And, right. you know, I mean, I went and heard a band recently in Elmhurst in the Queens. It was like they set up in the terrace of a, it was called Terraza 7. And they set up in a terrace of a, uh, of a, a restaurant right. in Elmhurst in the middle of a, like the worst neighborhood. I mean, right under an elevated train, you know, and, uh, and uh, it was it was like a fifteen piece, you know, big band. Okay. You know? And these guys were just devoted, and they were they were so serious about what they were. It was beautiful. I mean, they, uh-huh. were, they were. It was tremendous. But they're not making a living. Did you know, you know any of those guys? Did you know any? Oh, yeah, of them? I did. I, I knew some of them. You know, uh, uh, Manuel Valera was the leader of the band. Who's uh-huh. a, a brilliant keyboard player but but um but they're not they're not making a living you know no. what i mean so they're all doing if you interviewed each one of them they're all doing other things right um, to survive to survive in manhattan right um, i think i was very fortunate you know yeah. the timing the timing was right for me because i was you know, it was just in a, in a time and a place where i could actually make a living so it's very hard to uh to do that so um you know what? What Sipiagam uh, was talking about? It's pro- you know, I mean, I, I hate to use the word hobby band, but it's just it's kind of. It's well, his artistic. band was the band that he was playing with was from Slovenia, and oh, okay. so well, maybe you know it's maybe a completely different thing. Uh-huh. Hector well, yeah. Hector's is in the city, but yeah. you know, really, when Hector came out and played this at the Southampton Art Center, mm. you know, a third of the band anyway were was populated with just with people from out here, John Ludlow and uh, yep. Adoravati and others. So maybe it's the kind of thing where like, like you're describing an Elmhurst where they, again, they just kind of get together for an occasion. Yeah. Yeah. And they're not, uh, again, they're doing it for music. They're, they're doing it yeah. to make music there, but it's not, it's not like a paying right. situation, you know, where so for you now, I mean, here you are talking about maybe being an expat or whatever, being in San Remo, you've Uh-oh. described the way it's been in New York. What do you see for yourself musically in the future, if anything? Um, I, well, I'm I'm kind of working on my own music. You know, I mean, I'm I'm a composer, and that's what I've always like done. Right. So I'm uh, I'm just working on my own music. Um, it's stylistically what I'm doing. It's it's not really what I would call swing. You know, it's not really. Uh, uh, 
I mean, I'm using live musicians, but it's not uh, what I, it's not traditional jazz in the right. sense. It's not like a uh, all all live musicians. There's a lot of uh, electronic music, right? Uh, involved, you know. So, so some of the not, stuff you sent me some stuff that's on SoundCloud now. That would be more more typical of what you're doing now, which is yeah, that's kind of what I'm writing, what I'm playing. It's interesting, yeah. and it's more contemporary. I mean, if that's the right word, I don't know. I I don't know if I'd call it contempt. contemporary. Contemporary. You'd have to tell me. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know either, but if there are electronics involved, it makes it, right, slightly more. Yeah. But you say it's... Well, it's not traditional. Let's just say it's not traditional. It's not traditional. What I would call traditional right. jazz, you know. But you wouldn't necessarily call it avant-garde either, uh, would you? That's not not all the way, no. no. I mean, it's hard, hard for me to place it, hard you know. To place it. But it comes from your... So, But you've been composing most of your career? Yeah, yeah. So whatever I'm, whatever I'm hearing, you know what I mean? It's kind of whatever is challenging, whatever's musically challenging. Right. You know, I'm not really, right. I'm not really out to like, to put my music in any kind of genre.
You're listening to WLIWFM 88.3 in Southampton, New York. Also heard on WLIW.org slash radio. This is the Jam Session Radio Hour. I'm your host, John Landis. And we're listening to music and talk from Jim Campagnola, a great saxophone player and a very respected and good guy, a member of the East End uh, music community. So when yeah. uh, earlier when you were in the studios and you were um, making a living in the studios in New York, were you often composing for Some, yeah. pieces in I the studio? Was, mm-hmm. Yeah, I was hired as a as a composer, also as an arranger. Mm-hmm. So I did a lot of I did a lot of arranging um, and and a lot of playing too. You know, yeah, playing other people's stuff. Right. Yeah. yeah. Again, I think you know it, that it was just kind of. I was fortunate. It was just the timing was right where there was a lot of, uh, a lot of work, you know, right. in Manhattan, in New right. York, a lot of work for, for musicians. You know, I think it's pretty much disappeared. Really. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, when you talk about that, I know it's a different, uh, it's kind of a generational jump, but uh, Dick Berkey, who you played with regularly at the jam session, yeah, right. He did that for years, right. He wrote, yeah. And he arranged for advertising. And then Michael Golub and Sue right. Reed. I don't know. She's you probably your career, your careers didn't overlap, but Sue Reed. Oh yeah. I met I met I met Michael Golub in the studios in Manhattan playing on TV commercials. Is that right? Oh yeah. I worked with him man hundreds of times. I can't huh. remember how many really? times. Yeah, we, so, we, I don't really. Yeah, I, I, you know, when I think about what I was saying, it, it's really more Sue, his wife, than he that I that I thought was involved in that. But maybe that's well, how they got. A, yeah, no, she was an ad agency. Exactly, but she uh, would hire. She, she well, must well, have hired. Maybe she hired Michael. Maybe she hired. You know, prob- yes. Too. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I don't recall working with her directly, but right. but she was. Uh, yeah, she was. Um, I don't know what exactly what she was doing in the in the. Uh, advertising world but she might have been a rep she might have been a uh, well she had she was creative on the creative side so she would put ads yeah. she would put the content together but then i think yeah. also she was she's a you know she's an incredible manager i believe from her yeah. from just knowing her so as yeah. I, my understanding is like she would hire all these parts she would hire she would like you know right. find, and that's why she hired dick berkey all the time maybe she hired michael right I mean, again, I don't know to what extent your careers would have overlapped, but you said you played with Michael a lot. So, and well, I, she case, Michael yeah, was in the engineering. Well, she didn't hire Michael directly. Uh-huh. I mean, she was a, as a creative director, you know, the music would be one one component. Right. You know, exactly. It was it was the film. There yep. was the you know uh-huh. writing the storyboard. It was a whole process, but the music uh, component of it. Um, in those days, and it's again, it's changed a lot. But um, there was there were these music we called them jingle houses. They were like uh, you know music production places where there was a, a team of writers, and yeah. they would write and they would compete for uh, you know accounts. And right. um, and Michael was hired by a guy a guy named Joey Levine, who's a very he 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 wrote yummy yummy yummy. Uh-huh. <laughs> he was a he was like a you know he's out of the bubblegum era. Right. You know he wrote he wrote Moni Moni. Oh right right. right. So, oh, man, so I can't yeah. believe you just mentioned Moni Moni. Uh, it just uh, it strikes a chord because our new newest granddaughter is Ramona, 
And oh, yeah. uh, that's what we sing whenever we see her is money, money. Okay. That's <laughs> that was Joey Levine. Yeah, but anyway, well, he was, yeah, he was, he was the bubblegum era. Oh. You know what I mean? He was, those bands, they weren't real bands. They were kind of put together. Like uh, the monkeys. <laughs> right. From what I understand, you know, Joey was, Joey's a great writer. Uh-huh. And he, uh, you know, he, he became a very successful jingle writer, I mean, right. writer of TV commercials. Uh-huh. I mean, if you listen to that music, you know, it's, they're kind of, they sound like TV commercials, you know, right. so. He, you know, he was a very successful, and he he uh, he started a very successful jingle house in Manhattan, uh, writing music for TV commercials. And he so he would be hired by someone like Sue Reed, right? You know, and then Michael was the house, one of the house engineers, right, for Joey Levine. So uh-huh. he, you know, and he worked other places too, not just right. Joey. I mean, I intersected with him in lots of different studios where I'd oh. come in and he'd be the, he'd be the engineer. So, but, but that was the scene. It was, uh, you know, jingle houses wow. writing music for TV commercials. Yeah. And then, you know, I was, I was hired as a saxophone player and then, and then eventually as an, as a, uh, an arranger like uh-huh. Dick was, you know, Dick was, Dick was a very successful right. you know, arranger in that, in that uh-huh. scene, in that era. And uh, so that's, yeah, that's kind of how we know each other, you know, but that's, that's <laughs> it was awesome. thriving. It, it was a thriving yeah. scene. I mean, you so know. you walk into Bayberger one night and there's Michael Gollum. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> ended up over, I ended up over my house for dinner many times. Oh, um, that's so great. Play a lot of golf too. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I didn't know any of that history. That's, that's so yeah, fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell us uh, a little bit about, um, uh, you know, other other parts of your career, people that, you know, that, that influenced you to get into music, get, to get into jazz um, in particular. And I, I know your taste is broader than that. Um, so talk about some of that history. Well, I, um, I started, if I could go all the way back, I mean, you know, I go back to like the Beatles era, you know, so uh, again, I hate dating myself, but I mean, I was, I grew up in, in that era, you know, of... Uh, in Long Island. Uh, yeah, of, of, of rock music, you know, so uh, I, uh, I played a lot of guitar, actually. I played, uh, I was playing a lot of guitar in those days, um, but uh, I kept, I would always get hired to play the saxophone, so... Um, you know, I, I came up playing rock music. I mean, in the beginning, I didn't really start playing jazz until I was a little older, you know, maybe in my teens, you know, when I started actually discovering jazz, you know, which is, which is a natural thing to discover if you're a saxophone player, you know, it's just, you know, the saxophone's made for playing jazz. It's just a great, you know, instrument for, for jazz. So, um, yeah, I naturally gravitated towards jazz, and uh, but I didn't start out being a jazz musician. I mean, I what started. What got you into the saxophone? Uh, you know, just just I just something I did when I was a kid. You know, I played what, in the, school. I played in the high school band. Played okay. in the you know going all the way back junior high school. You know, just something got you a saxophone. What? Your parents would <laughs> got you a saxophone at some point. Exactly. Right. Right. My mom bought me a saxophone, so you know. I was just, you know, it was something I was good at, something I just, I just did, and uh, 
and ended up, but I ended up playing in a band that uh, was writing original music. And so I was kind of, that was back in the hippie days, you know, and we kind of dropped out and I played in this uh, band for, uh, boy, it was about six or eight years uh, playing, you know, original stuff, stuff we were writing. It, again, it wasn't, it was, it wasn't jazz. It wasn't jazz oriented. Right. But uh, there were, jazz was a component of what we were doing, mm-hmm. but it was a very eclectic kind Did of vocalist. So, uh, yeah. We had a couple of vocalists and, uh, but it was, the music was all over the map. You know, mm-hmm. it was, uh, it wasn't like a traditional, you know, traditional jazz group. It was, mm-hmm. uh, it was, it was more. Can you think of a band that it was like? Uh, oh man, I can't. You know, it was such a strange. It was called the Zobo Fun Band. <laughs> Fun, you can go- yeah. Just go Google it, man. <laughs> <laughs>
Thank you. You're listening to WLIWFM 88.3 in Southampton, New York. Also heard on WLIW.org slash radio. This is the Jam Session Radio Hour. I'm your host, John Landis. And we're listening to music and talk from Jim Campagnola, a great saxophone player and a very respected and good guy, a member of the East End uh, music community. I played in that band for a while. And then um, then I ended up moving to Europe and I played in, uh, I lived in Amsterdam for a couple of years after that. Um, and that was a whole other scene, you know, playing, sure. playing in, in Europe. And then eventually I, I, I came to New York, you know, after that and, um, and started playing in New York. And the, you know, the money where the money was, was, recording you know in manhattan and that's kind of how i got to be a studio musician was for you know but along the way you had uh, you had other bands like like the um you know, the elegant party band that you were talking about and yeah that happened well that happened a little later but that was but, later uh, yeah i played in a couple of original bands again writing original music mm-hmm. um, and um, the zobo fun band were you writing any of their tunes yeah i wrote some of that music yeah i was one of the writers uh and that was that goes wow that goes way back <laughs> but anyway um, did you guys have a record no we, we we yeah we made an independent record but independent. no we never we we you know we were like we got turned down by every every major you know record label that there was it was kind right. of funny we, we would kind of put the 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 letters you know the rejection letters you know we put them on the wall we like you know had a row of them but, Were you like too too hippie a band or what? I mean, I don't know if that um, even. I, I think I think we were just too wild. Too you didn't fit any particular category was, well. Yeah, yeah, we weren't fitting into any kind of <laughs> genre, you know, any kind yeah. of commercially. Yeah, you know. That's great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. could have yeah. been the Grateful Dead. Uh, Grateful yeah. Dead was one could of our big, the Hell's Angels. Uh, it was one of our no. It was one of our big influences actually. Yeah, Grateful Dead. You know the band, uh, you know, Big Brother and the Holding Company, Frank Zappa. Oh, Frank Zappa. Yeah, we had some. We had an eclectic group of uh, influences, uh, influencers. Right. Um, so anyway, so I, that's that's kind of how I got to New York, and um, you moved into jazz at some at some point, right? From the Zobo Fun Band. Yeah, I just started becoming interested in jazz, um, just because I was a saxophone player. It's kind of the natural thing to do you know right. i mean for a saxophone player so um uh-huh. so when you were doing the session the the recording sessions um did you have an agent who would place you in those or people just found out about you no it was word of mouth word yeah. of mouth yeah that's that's kind of the way right that kind of have you ever worked. had an agent uh not not for studio work no not for that kind of stuff no, that's all that's all word of mouth you know? like but for some of your bands you have uh, yeah, when I was in uh, when I was in Europe, I had an agent. Um, actually, had a record deal over there. Did some recording over there. So I've had yeah, I've had agents, you know, um, along the way. Yeah. And how does that work? Does the age the agent will uh, are there like like in real estate? Are there two different kinds of agents? The agents that represent the venues or whatever, and then the agent that represents the musicians. Um, there's you know. There's manager. Well, I call them not agents. They're more managers. You know, uh, management companies. Right. That, that will manage 
artists. Um, there's a big, at the time, I don't know if they're still in business, there was a, a ma big management company called Champion in New York that represented, you know, Hall & Oates, who, you know, but uh, I'm not sure who they represented, but a lot of artists. So these, these um, um, management companies would represent artists. So I, I call them more managers, you know, right. but, uh, in those days. And again, you know, the scene has changed so much um, in the last several years. It's, yeah. uh, it's kind of hard to, it's kind of hard to figure out, you know, it's, it's not like that anymore. It's just more uh, finished products. You know, people are making finished products now, you know, they're not hooking up with a manager who's financing a demo, that kind of scene. And now it's, uh, it's so easy to make a finished product in your bedroom mm -hmm. that it's uh yeah. The, the business has changed radically. So right. Very different. Yeah. Well, what, what would it be like? What's it like now for a young, you know, somebody in their twenties who's breaking into, into music is, I mean, what it's so, it's so different. Like you describe, it's hard to imagine. I mean, there's the creative impulse that makes you do it. And, and my, my music's not going to go away. If only it's just proliferating, but can't. Yeah, the idea of being a professional at it seems to have changed quite a bit. Uh, radically. Yeah, yeah. I can't, you know, that, that's a scary question. I can't, right. <laughs> I can't imagine. I honestly, I, could, I couldn't imagine being a musician now coming into New York or, you know, wanting to be a professional musician. What the outlets are. I think it's really a hard thing to do these days. Right. I think it's, I'd call, I'd say it's almost impossible. Right. Uh, the, the, the commercial aspect of being a musician, it's uh it's really different from what people think it is. I think, yeah. you know, the reality of yeah. the day-to-day -day life of a musician. I mean, it's just, uh, how do you record stuff now? Uh, or how were you recording stuff before you left? Uh, you got uh, friends together and go into a studio. Um, I, well, what I'm doing, I, I record, um, I, I do live music and I also do some, some other electronic stuff. So it's a little different for me. It's not, it's not like I, the last couple of, years i've been you know it's been uh, solo me solo mm -hmm. and and hooking up with friends of mine or people that i know mm -hmm. and uh, who are contributing you know so it's kind of like we're kind of layering music right. you know so, okay uh, a good friend of mine tony beard mm -hmm. uh, who's a drummer lives in in new york um we we've been working on projects for years and you know he'll, he'll, he came out to my house for example, you come out and we just do drums and saxophone and just... In Amagansett. Yeah. And we just lay down a bunch of tracks and then I would take it from there and put, you know, put other instruments on and layer it. So it's, it's kind of a layering. One of my last <laughs> questions is, is like just people who, have, who influenced you along the way, other sax players or other... In, in terms of music theory, discovering Charlie Parker was mm -hmm. like a big thing for me. You okay. know, uh, in terms of jazz theory, right? I mean, he he's a he's a real uh, root, you know. So that was a that was a big deal for me. Was mm -hmm. discovering him and his harmony, you know, and, and uh, his music theory. As as for sound, um, you know, it, Coltrane, mm -hmm. uh, Wayne Shorter, mm -hmm. someone I love, uh, Joe Henderson, mm -hmm. big big influence. Sonny Rollins, mm -hmm. uh, you know, later on, Michael Brecker, big influence. Mm -hmm. So 
those guys are, you know, on they're on a lot of saxophone players lists. So, you know, right. You know, you're going to find those names, but yeah, those, those are big influences for me. Yeah. All right, man. Well, it's been great talking. Take care of yourself in San Remo. Uh, right. I'm going to uh, turn off the record and uh, keep so, talking chat a little bit, but thank you. If I could you say so goodbye in Italian, I would. You know? huh? If I could say goodbye in Italian, I would. Oh, there she. All right. Ciao. <laughs> okay, here we go. I'm turning it on. The Jam Session Radio Hour is supported by Bayard Fenwick as a sponsor and underwriter. As part of the Terry Cohen team, located at the East Hampton office of Saunders Real Estate, Bayard is well-versed in the residential real estate market from Bridgehampton to East Hampton to Amagansett to Montauk. Bayard believes there are three parts to the value of a property. Land value, improvements made to the property, and an emotional component. You can reach Bayard Fenwick at the East Hampton office of Saunders Real Estate at 631-324-7575. That's 631-324-7575. The Jam Session Radio Hour is also supported by Oza Sabbath Architects of Bridgehampton, New York. Oza Sabbath Architects both designs and builds homes, believing that a well-designed home suffuses our lives with the essential elements of balancing and recharging. Oza Sabbath Architects can be reached at ozasabbath.com. That's O-Z-A-S-A-B-B-E-T-H dot com. And at 631-808-3036. That's 631-808-3036. So you can hear Jim Campagnola on SoundCloud, which is where you'll hear some of his most recent music, and also on Spotify. On SoundCloud, you'll see he's done some stuff that is uh, involves um, the use of his saxophone plus some electronics and other locals and um and people from new york uh people that he regularly plays with and so enjoy that and enjoy what jim continues to do in the music area and you've heard on the on the interview that we did uh some of what he sees as uh the current past and future of of live music and live jazz so thanks so much for joining us tonight. Once again, we want to thank all those who are involved in this. We want to thank Silvano Monasterios for the use of his Tropical Mirage uh, music for our theme. Uh, we want to thank uh, Rafael Alvarez for the great work that he does in post-production and all the sound work that he does. We want to thank our music director, Clayus Brandahl. We want to thank WLIW uh, Radio uh, in Southampton. We want to particularly thank um, James Campagnola. Uh, for participating in this and doing an interview from San Remo, Italy, uh, hours after uh, New York time. And uh, we want to thank all you listeners for being with us once again. Stay safe, take care of yourselves, and we'll see you next time on the Jam Session Radio Hour. Good night. Good night.